what a what a testimony, amen. Thank you, Aaron, for sharing. Oh, it's uh, it's been quite the journey. I actually did uh, Aaron and Luis's wedding um, quite a few years ago, and uh, it's been amazing to see what God has done in them. But I think all of us need to know that we are His. There's something powerful about our identity in Christ and about the King of kings and Lord of lords, the creator of everything who calls us His sons and daughters. Amen? It's just such good, good news. Today, uh, we're going to look in Mark chapter 14, the first 11 verses, and we're going to look at two different people, two people that walked with Jesus, who saw the miracles, heard His teaching, were very close to Him, loved Him deeply, were loved by Him deeply, and we're going to see two completely different responses to Jesus. So go ahead and open your Bibles to Mark chapter 14. This is going to be really good. We're starting this new sermon series called The Beginning of the End. You're going to know why we're calling it The Beginning of the End as we look into this text uh, because uh, Judas is going to make a decision here at the end of the text that we read today. And it really is the beginning of the end or the beginning of the beginning for Jesus as he's finishing his ministry in Jerusalem. But uh, let's go ahead and pray before we jump into our, our sermon today. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. God, we thank you that we can come and worship you this morning. And God, we thank you that you do leave the 99 and come after the one. Lord, as we look into your word this morning, we see two different people responding differently to Christ. Father, I pray that the truth of your word would come to life for us. God, that your, your spirit would bring it to life in our hearts and that your truth would take root in us and change us and grow us and, and make us the people that you've called us to be, the church that you've called us to be for your kingdom and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, this, I said this is our new sermon series called The Beginning of the End, but you could actually entitle today's sermon The Tale of Two Hearts because of the two hearts that we're going to be looking at. But let's pick this up in Mark chapter 14. It says this, It was now two days before the Passover in the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. This is Jesus they're going after. For they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, one he'd healed, obviously. As he reclined at table, a woman came with an alabaster, alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. I'm going to stop us right there. This nard is a sweet-smelling perfume from a rare plant only found in India. Now, Mary had broke the flask, making it no longer usable. This was it. This, this ointment was poured over Jesus, no longer usable, and poured its entire contents over Jesus. This, now, this nard, this alabaster flask, would have been worth one year's salary. The average year's salary in North Canton is $75,000. $75,000. Could you imagine if somebody brought something in and said, I found one of the most rare things I've ever found. And it, it's, it was, you can only find it from this one tree or this one flower across the world in India. And we, they bring it back and they show it. And it's so beautiful. And then they just break it and pour it all over the place. What would we think? What would we do? And, and here's, here's what kind of happens. 
there were some, this is the disciples, and it's not in, in this text, but in one of the other gospels, we know that these, this sum of people were headed up by Judas. They said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And we say it even today and recall this story. It goes on in verse 10, Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him then. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money, and he sought an opportunity to betray him. We kind of see here in this story Judas heading up this group of disciples. They see, he sees what's happening here, and he's like, oh, this money could be used for something so much better, so much more. They could serve the poor. And Judas was the guy, he was the disciple that kind of did all the finances for Jesus. He was his accountant, you could say. I wonder, you know, as he's responding this way and seeing these things, what was really in Judas's heart all along? Here we have two people. Both walked with Jesus. They were eyewitnesses to all the miracles and all the teachings, everything that Jesus had done up until this point. I mean, the amazing things, eyewitnesses to all these things and two totally different responses. I have a little graph here I want to show you. I hope it's on the screens. If not, I kind of lay it out for you. Is it up there? There it is. We have Mary on the one side, Judas on the other. Judas, one of the disciples, Mary following Jesus. Mary, a woman with no real standing in the society. Judas, a man, one of the apostles. Mary gave what she could to Jesus. Judas took what he could get for Jesus. Do you remember how much he sold Jesus for? 30 pieces of silver. She pours out $75,000. He gets 30 pieces of silver. Mary blessed her Lord. Jesus, Judas betrayed his Lord. Mary loved her Lord. Judas used him. Mary did a beautiful thing of worship. Judas did a terrible thing. Mary served him as her Savior, and Judas sold him like he was a slave. And Mary is now notable forever for her devotion and worship. And Judas, notorious forever for his betrayal. When we read something like this and see something so drastic in this story, in this account of Jesus' life, what do we do? I think about Mary, and I, it's just one of the most beautiful things you could ever witness. Because this pouring out of the ointment and this this worship that Mary does shows us what she really knew about Jesus. She was anointing him for burial. What does that mean? That means that Mary got it. 
as Jesus was teaching and talking about what his life would be like, as he was proclaiming his divinity, when he was talking about what he came to do, that he came to die and give his life for the lost, she believed him. She believed that, that he was going to give his life. Do you remember as the disciples heard Jesus talk about him giving his life? They, no, 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 Jesus. Surely not. Surely not. But Mary... Mary got it. And she does this amazing act of worship. She gives all that she has, everything she is, she pours out on Jesus with this extravagant, amazing act of love, devotion, and worship. Judas looks at this, and instead of, of saying, wow, what an act of Commitment, what an act of, of, of knowledge, of knowing the teachings of Jesus, believing the teachings of Jesus and following him and understanding his purpose and, and his life, what was going to happen. And instead of, of saying, way to go, Mary, let's all come around Jesus and worship him because we know what's about to happen in his life. He's going to give his life. Instead of coming alongside and worshiping with her, they scold her headed by Judas. Now think about that too. Judas, he's, you know, in the back of his mind, counting the money, doing all these different things. And in his heart, he had, you don't just go to betrayal instantly, right? We know that Judas had had some things going on in his mind, probably all along. This was something that had been stirring in him. This was the hair that broke the camel's back though. Oh, how could Jesus let this happen? This isn't, he didn't believe. He didn't believe Jesus was who he said he was. And he does this and heads up these other disciples. It makes you think about, you know, what kind of company you keep, right? I wonder if the other disciples saw that and, and were wondering, wait, what should we should we join her? Or should we, you know? But then Judas is like, What is she doing? I wonder. Now there's three things that Mary modeled for us in this story that we need to do as well. Mary's mind was focused on Jesus. She trusted Jesus. She listened. She understood. Her mind was set on Jesus. Her heart was his. Her heart was his. And she beautifully is worshiping at his feet. Three things that Mary did that we need to do as well. And the first one is the first filling in your notes that I want to really talk us through. And that's that we need to guard our minds. Guard your mind. We need to guard our minds. And there's three scriptures that I want to share with you that I think are so powerful when we talk about our minds and guarding our minds. The first one is in 2 Corinthians 10.5. And it says this, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. This is one of my favorite scriptures. And I, because I don't know if, if you're like me or not, but my mind is racing 24-7. I have a hard time falling asleep, and I wake up with my mind racing with the things that I fell asleep thinking about. And then my mind races all day. Thoughts going every which way on any topic and every topic. My sermon today and the, the planning that I have, the membership class afterwards, and then the sermon planning retreat that I have to schedule, doing all these different things. My mind is racing and my thinking about my puppy at home in her crate right now. What is she doing? I'm sure she's tearing up their crate right now. I don't know. Who knows? And then where are my kids? My kids, my Fort Wayne. They're in Fort Wayne right now. What's, 
And my mind just races with all these different things, and, and it can just go on its own. It, it can just go off and, and do what it wants if I don't watch it, if I don't guard it, if I don't tell it what to do. And as Scripture tells us in 2 Corinthians 10.5, we take every thought captive and bring it obedient to Christ. What a powerful statement that is. Did you know you can actually take your thoughts captive? That you can tell your thoughts what to do? Also in Colossians 3, 2, it says, Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So as we take our thoughts captive, what do we do with those thoughts? We tell them what to do by setting our minds on things above. And this third scripture in Philippians 4, 8. Now I know I'm jumping around fast here, but there's a purpose behind it. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Three scriptures that really lock us into what we are supposed to do with our mind, with our thoughts, and guarding our mind. So how do we guard our minds? Well, we ask the Holy Spirit to help us apply these, these scriptures in our lives. And here's how we do that. We take every thought captive and bring it to obedience to Christ by setting our minds on things above, heavenly things. Think about that, things that are above. As we take these thoughts captive that try to run wild, I start to think instead of, you know, just random thoughts or crazy thoughts or whatever is going through my mind, I start thinking about heavenly things about the truth of God's word, what it tells me about who I am, what it tells me about eternity, what it tells me about my life and and what I should do in my life. I set my mind on heavenly things. And then in Philippians, the things that are what? Things that are true. God's word is truth. Things that are honorable. Things that are just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and worthy of praise. Do you see where it's pointing to? It's pointing to Christ. Setting our minds on Christ. This means that when sinful thoughts come to mind, I redirect those thoughts and I tell those thoughts what to do by thinking about heaven and eternity. And I continue by focusing on God's word and his truth, the word of God, and the truth it proclaims about God and about morality, justice, righteousness, and sin. And then I submit to his word. I look at what is honorable and pure, lovely, and down through the list And I rule my mind. My mind does not rule me. And we do this by the power of the Spirit. And that's why all of these these scriptures and these lists of things point us to Christ. Because how, how in the world can I control my mind? How can I not let my mind rule me? You see, our minds were meant to be captivated. We were created to be captivated by someone. We were created to be captivated by Jesus, but so many other things try and get our attention and captivate us. So how do we, how do we capture our thoughts? How do we do these things? As we fall in love with Jesus. We run after Jesus. 
and trust that the Holy Spirit is going to do the work in our hearts that only he can do. We focus on Jesus. Mary kept her mind on Jesus. Judas was thinking of the money and what he could do with it. He thought he knew better than Jesus. His idea of serving the poor was nobler than anointing the Savior of the world for burial. Judas didn't guard his mind. The next thing is guarding our hearts. We guard our minds and we guard our hearts. Now, when we talk about the heart, we are talking about our deepest desires and feelings towards something or someone. The heart is the center of emotion and passion. Our minds feed our hearts, but emotional reactions or heartfelt reactions can happen almost out of second nature or what may seem to be like without thinking about them, although it is with much thinking that's done in very little time. This is the magnificence of the human mind. We can process and think about millions of things, millions of things in very, very, very short times. This miraculously fast Thinking or the processing is what gives us the impression of like love at first sight or falling in love with someone like that. And these feelings or emotions stem from our hearts, or at least that's the language that we use for it. So as we talk about guarding our hearts, we will be talking about dealing with our emotions and our feelings. Now, guarding our minds is the first step. But what do we do with those sneaky emotions or feelings that come upon us so quickly that we don't even recognize it's happening. It's almost like instantly. This is where we guard our hearts. And in Jeremiah 17, 9, one of my favorite scriptures to quote all the time, as you've heard me say it all the time, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? What a great encouraging scripture, amen? <laughs> right? Scripture is clear, though. This is a rhetorical question, and only God can understand our hearts. We do not understand it because we can be so easily deceived by our deceitful, sick hearts. The first thing we have to do is don't trust our feelings because our feelings lie to us. Don't trust your feelings. They will lie. Not always, but you can count on it. They will lie to you. Emotions or feelings are not evil in and of themselves, but what we do with those feelings is vitally important in guarding our hearts. We can let our emotions control us or rule us just like our minds, and our lives will be in this tumultuous hurricane of ups and downs, a roller coaster of mountaintops and deep valleys. One key to guarding our hearts is found in Psalm seventy-three twenty-six. Psalm 73, 26, it says this, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Here we see that our hearts and flesh will fail us, but what? But God is the strength of my heart. And what does it mean that God is the strength of our heart? It means that Though I feel this way or that way, or even though my emotions are flying in every direction and it may seem as though I'm out of control, I can remember and know it is God who has my heart. It's God who holds the strings. 
He is the one who created a new heart within me, who took out a heart of stone and replaced it with a heart of flesh that responds to his word and obeys his commands. It means what I cannot do, God will do. God will tame my heart, emotions, and feelings. But that's not where it ends. The key to this taming of our hearts is the captivating of our hearts. It says, he is my portion forever. That means that I am captivated, obsessed, fascinated, delighted. It's probably my favorite one of this list, delighted. Riveted, gripped, mesmerized, and completely and unequivocally content with Jesus. He is my delight, my portion. That means I don't need anything else. And this is, this is one of the most amazing things that God does. As we look into his word, as we run after Jesus, I, I don't know about you, but as we're singing worship songs, something, something unexplainable happens inside of me. As I hear someone share a testimony, something inside of me that I don't have words for happens. There's this connection of head and heart that, that only the Holy Spirit can kind of bridge. This, this comprehension, understanding that makes its way right down into the feels. Right? That is, that is the powerful supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in us. And so oftentimes, I know this, that our, our emotions betray us so many times. And as, if you've lived a little bit of life, you've been betrayed by your feelings. They've lied to you at some point, and you're just like, I'm just going to box that out. I'm not going to pay attention to that anymore. I've been burnt one too many times. I'm just not going to go there anymore. And then we, get, we like to get really philosophical and doctrinal and church work too, theological. And, and we want to build... You know, all these, these certain doctrines and different things about God so that we can have him in these nice, perfect set of boxes that build this perfect set of doctrines. And it's all, you know, perfectly set aside and we can fully wrap our minds and under, around and understand God. There's, we don't want to attach any emotion to it or anything else to it. We're just going to come to a great knowledge of God and know all of these things and we'll be good to go and you have no emotions attached to it. But then you can have the other side of it that, you know, I just, I'm going to church for those warm fuzzies, baby. That's all I want. They're going to play my favorite song. I might squirt a few tears, get out of there, and I'll be set for the rest of the week. No knowledge about God at all. There's this beautiful balance that God created us to grab. God has emotions. We're created in the image of God. We have emotions too. And emotions can be good. But the knowledge of God and the truth of God's word is good too. And coming to this, this balance of those two things is a beautiful thing. So we don't, we don't throw aside emotions. We guard our hearts, guard our minds, and we look and filter those emotions through the truth and the, the primacy of God's word. 
But here's the beautiful thing that happens. As we dive into God's word and grow to know him more, we seek out his truth and we seek out his face about who he is. I'm broken. I'm so moved. Makes me think of the time, Todd, we were in God's word. I don't know if you remember it or not. We were in the offices. Me and Todd were just talking through God's word. We both just started tearing up. I don't know why. <laughs> we're at work. We're doing things, you know. We're just going into God's word. And we're sitting there. We just start to cheer up because God's grace and God's mercy. That's good emotions. That's being captivated. That's making God the delight of our lives. The third one, Mary's portion was Jesus. She gave him everything. Judas's portion was 30 pieces of silver. That's about 300 bucks. 75,000 bucks, 300 bucks. Think about that. It's crazy what love money will do to our hearts. Mary walked humbly with God. That's the last fill in your notes today. Mary walked humbly with God. Micah 6.8 says it this way. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Humility, a modest or low view of one's own importance. Walking humbly with God means that humility before God is something we have to constantly work towards. Did you, did you hear me say that? Walking humbly with God is something that we have to constantly work towards. We never arrive at humility. Because here's what happens. You, you get to that point, you're like, I did it. I've arrived at humility. I am humble. And then you've just disqualified yourself. It's kind of how humility works. This is a journey that we go on. This is a constant battle in our flesh and the spirit that's warring at, inside of us. This is that, that humility because all of our sin, all of our struggles of sin find their root in pride. And we have this pride existing. The question, you've heard me say this before, the question isn't, do I have pride? The question that we always have to ask ourselves is, where is my pride revealing itself today? Lord, where would you have me deal with my pride today? I love how Romans 12, 16 puts it. It says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Oh, this is good stuff. This is really good stuff. Associate with the lowly. Wow. Okay. Who wants to do that? Anybody? You woke up this morning... It was Sunday morning. You had your alarm set. You're here at the 9 a.m. service, so I'm sure you had your coffee. You're ready to go. You got out of bed. You had your shower. You put on your Sunday clothes. You walked out the door, and you thought to yourself, where's the lowly? Where's the lowliest person I can find? I want to associate with that person today. Do you know what associate means? It's not like hang out with. No. It's much deeper than that. It's doing life with them, associating with them. That's mean you're going to be being seen with them in public because you're spending life with them. You're doing time with them. You're investing in them. You are growing with them. That's associate. 
associate with the live in harmony with another do not be haughty or prideful but associate with the lowly judas thought that jesus wasn't worth the offering of love devotion financial sacrifice mary didn't think about didn't even think twice about pouring out $75,000 worth of fragrant burial oil on the lamb that would be slain for the sins of the world. Mary understood what was coming. Judas brought what was coming. So who do we, who do we hang out with? Have you ever thought about that? This Romans 12, associating with the lowly. Do we serve others? Or do we avoid those who need to be served? In our relationships, are we looking for people who can serve our needs, our wants, our desires? Are we looking to gain something or are we looking to give something? Jesus came to give. There was nothing, nothing he needed. He had nothing to gain from any relationship he had on earth. He was complete, satisfied, fully and completely satisfied, perfect. He was perfection in and of itself, in and of himself, in eternity. But he stepped out of eternity into time and served and gave. In the ultimate act of humility, he put on flesh and became man. The creator of the universe put on flesh and became man. Truly God and truly man. We have the opportunity to live like Jesus in the relationships that we have. Are we looking to gain or are we looking to give? He goes on, he says, are you, don't be wise in your own sight. What a great statement. Don't be wise in your own sight. Are we wise in our own sight? Has our pursuit of self-esteem turned into a practice of pride to our own praise? Pride is the enemy of growth, change, and satisfaction. In fact, the Bible tells us that pride makes us an enemy of God. The hard thing with pride, though, the most difficult thing with pride is that when we have pride, we don't see it. We don't see it. It takes our brothers and sisters in Christ to confront us, to confront our pride. And then it takes the power of the Holy Spirit to move on our hearts, to soften our hearts in order to respond to that confrontation. I've had a, I had a close friend one time confront me about my pride. We were, doing a, we were in a recording studio one time, and we were doing some recording and everything, and I was producing this record, and this guy comes out, really, really good friend of mine. And he says, man, man, can I talk to you for just a second? He pulls me aside. He says, man, I'm, I'm picking up on a little bit of pride here, the way you're you know, doing things and everything else. And I was just like, really, really, I mean, offended, super offended. Me? How could you say that? I didn't do that. But that's what I was doing on the inside. On the outside, I was just like, oh, okay, sure, sure. You know what I did? After we were done recording everything, I went to all my best friends. I said, hey, am I prideful? I mean, do you see, am I prideful? And all my, all my best friends that I knew would respond with, no, not at all. You're the nicest guy. You're so humble, Matt. I went to all those people. 
so that they could tell me how humble I was and how I didn't have pride in my life. And you know what happened? Something really terrible happened that, I had, that showed me that I was very, very, very prideful. You know, here's the thing about this is that we can humbly go before the Lord and say, God, reveal where my pride is right now and give me a heart to respond to it. Or we can wait and let God deal with it in a really difficult and hard way. Judas didn't guard his mind, didn't guard his heart, and had so much pride that he would look at the Savior of the world being anointed for burial and say, and scold the person who did it. You talk about pride. But then you have Mary, who loved Jesus. She was captivated by him. She was fully satisfied and content, so much so, she probably took every penny that she had to buy that nard, that fragrant oil, $75,000. Just poured it over Jesus. Let's be like Mary. We would be captivated, obsessed, riveted, looking, running after Jesus, the Savior of the world. If you don't know Jesus today, if you're here and you don't, you've never heard this, this story of Jesus, this God-man who left heaven and put on flesh and became a man, he died. That's why Mary was anointing him with this oil for burial because he prophesied his own death. He, he said, I came to die for the sins of the world so that whoever would believe in me would not perish but have everlasting life. He, he came to live the perfect life that a perfect and righteous God demands that you and I can't live because we sin all the time. And Jesus died on the cross for you and me. And three days later, he rose from the grave, defeating sin and death for us. And, and he did that so that we can have the right relationship with God, that we can be in relationship with God again. If you don't know him, you can put your trust in him. It's, the Bible says it's by grace through faith in Christ alone that we are saved, not by works, so that no man or woman may boast. But we only boast in the grace and mercy of God. That's what's open to you right now. If you don't know him, if you haven't put your trust and faith in him, put your faith in Jesus today. And Christians, brothers and sisters, Mission View Church, let's be like Mary. Let's be captivated, remembering who he is, what he's done, and running after him. Amen? Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. In this account of, of your life, Jesus, we see these two responses to your teachings, to your miracles, and to your love. God, I pray that we would have hearts like Mary, that we would be willing to give you everything because we know who you are. You are our creator. You're not just a man who lived a couple thousand years ago. You are God, and you sit on high. And one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. So God, help us to confess that every day. 
that we would live our lives like that every day. Come and have your way, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to receive prayer today, we're going to have our prayer team up here at the front of the stage. If you've given your life to Jesus, you want to put your trust in, we'd love to talk to you about that. Um, Probably about halfway through this song, our prayer uh, leaders will be coming forward. Uh, At that time, if you'd like to receive prayer, come and receive prayer. Don't leave today. Uh, If you want to get prayer or be prayed for or prayed with, don't leave today without doing that. But let's stand as we sing our closing song.